my name is Autumn Dixon, and this week is July 10th through the 16th of the Come Follow Me program for 2023, and this year we're studying the New Testament. So for today's video, I want to talk about the miraculous conversion of Saul. Now, Saul was on his way to Damascus. He had a big vision of the Savior who said, you're kicking against the pricks, right? And we see a big change in how Paul, Saul turned Paul, starts to live his life. Now, I've heard a lot of counsel counsel that says you shouldn't compare your own conversion to that of Paul's conversion just because it was so atypical. Normally, conversion isn't that rapid. However, I actually have a very different theory about Paul's conversion that more readily fits into the paradigm of what we understand about conversion and what it really is. Now, in order to understand what I believe about what really happened with Paul, we need to understand what conversion truly is. Now, conversion is a change that occurs within us by the atonement of Jesus Christ, and it is when we change to become like Jesus Christ, to become like Jesus Christ, not just to act like Jesus Christ, but to become like him. So in gospel topics, it talks about how conversion is slow and quiet happens very gradually, and it goes beyond just behavior, right? It is a true change of who you are. Now, in order to better grasp this idea of what conversion is, I want to place it in the context of people, talking about what it looks like with people. Now, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my kids, and I know that they're not eight years old and not accountable, but I feel like it still teaches the point, so I'm going to use my children as an example. Now, when we come to earth, we receive a physical body. We, and with this physical body, we experience all kinds of new sensations and cravings and temptations that we have never felt before. And I see this all the time with my children. This is very normal for children and for us. Very normal to experience all these new feelings and not to quite know what to do with them or how to control them at first. And I see this with my kids a lot. In fact, whenever my kids start to go through a difficult phase, when they get to, or I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. I actually try to ask myself, what is it that they have newly experienced <laughs> that are causing these behavioral shifts? So just as an example, ownership. So when there's just a little baby and the baby's holding the toy and the toddler comes over and swipes the toy, the baby doesn't often, the baby might cry a little bit, but you just give the baby a new toy and the baby doesn't really care, right? Sometimes the baby doesn't care at all when the toy is taken away. They don't grasp it. But there comes a point when a child first experiences that feeling of ownership, of this is mine, right? And after that, you start to see a huge behavioral shift when they first experience this really strong feeling that came with their little physical bodies that they've never experienced before. They don't know what it is or what to do with it or how to control it. And they feel this new feeling like, oh, I can own things. This can be mine, right? And this is what I believe the scriptures call the natural man, right? We are given this physical body with all of these feelings and sensations and all these things are occurring. We're trying to figure out what it is, right? This is what I believe 
the natural man is. Now, conversion is when the natural man turns into a spiritual one by the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's really important that we separate this idea of conversion and behavior because even though they often come together, they're separate and they're different. It's important to understand that. So the behavior would be like forcing the toddler to share their choice. Conversion is a little bit different. The change is a little bit different. So the conversion is when the toddler starts to grow up and get older and starts to learn, right? So they're taught when they're very young that they need to share or to take good care of the things that they own or things that are their responsibility. They're taught that everything is the Lord's, right? And just as one example, they're taught to share and they successfully share with somebody and they feel good about it, right? And this process needs to be repeated a lot for them to figure it out, but it feels good. And as they're taught to recognize that it feels good to just let it go and to let someone else play with it and to make somebody else happy as they're taught these things. And as they recognize that they're happy when they live this way, their behavior continues to change, right? And this becomes a beautiful upward cycle of conversion. There's always, you know, mistakes and sliding back and falling down, but hopefully it's this upward cycle of conversion until eventually after loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and immense and immense and immense amounts of time, that natural man is overcome. It's become a spiritual one and they no longer even necessarily experience those cravings of ownership, right? They can still experience like, this is mine and I take care of it. Happy to share it. They're able to stay balanced about it, right? They don't feel those cravings like, I can't let anyone have this, right? That is conversion in the sense of this feeling of ownership. Behavior can often push along conversion. In fact, it is a huge mechanism of conversion. Behavior can also be, is not necessarily, but can be an indication that conversion has occurred to some extent. But it is still important to recognize that they're different, different, even though they often come along. It is also extremely important to note that I've said a couple of times, but to make it very clear that this is a process that occurs by the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, even though it is a process that occurs about the atonement of Jesus Christ, conversion can happen to anybody. It happened to the Jew who forgave the Nazi. It happened to the atheist who realize that they want to leave as much good in the world before they die. It happens with the Muslim who is praying to God and seeking out the will for of God for their family. Conversion is happening in all of these people. We believe that the gift of the Holy Ghost, given by proper priesthood authority, can expand and quicken conversion. It can it is not necessarily an indication, right? The gift of the Holy Ghost doesn't mean you're automatically going through conversion. Because we look at the millions and millions and billions of people in the world, and we see how many of them are Christ-like. Even if they wouldn't actually describe it as being Christ-like, we see all of these really good people throughout the world who may have different beliefs than us, but are extremely Christ-like, who have overcome the natural man 
to do good in the world and to become like Jesus Christ. Conversion is a process that is available to all of God's children, regardless of religion. Now, when it comes to Paul, Paul's conversion looked extremely rapid. When you're reading the story, Paul is, then Saul, is throwing Christians into prison, stealing them from their homes, throwing them into prison, men, women, everybody. In fact, when he receives his vision, he is on his way to Damascus. And Damascus is a critical juncture in society. And lots of people pass through it from different places. And so Paul is specifically going, I'm just going to call him Paul, (laughs) Saul, Paul. Paul is specifically seeking out Damascus because he knows that it can be a huge turning point where lots of people are filtering in and out and can learn about Christianity. And he's trying to stifle the growth of Christianity. He's specifically going to Damascus to throw people in prison so he can stop the growth of Christianity. And it is on the way to Damascus that he has this vision of the Savior. And it is this one event that many people attribute as Paul's conversion. Now, disclaimer, 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 this is personal theory. So just take it for what you will. But I don't actually believe that this one event was Paul's conversion. And I believe it because of one specific verse. Now, the Savior comes and he says, why are you kicking against the pricks (laughs) to Saul at the time? And this is what occurs. So this is Acts chapter 9, verse 6. So the Savior says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. This is what happens. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, his first response, his very first response is, what would you have me do? When we look at all the responses that people have had to visions, I would say that this is one of the best responses to a vision. What would you have me do? I don't believe this was a conversion of Paul so much as it was just a redirect of Paul, right? Let's look at the vision that Laman and Lemuel had, right? They are beating their brother with a rod and an angel shows up and says, cut it out. And then the angel leaves and Laman and Lemuel are grumbling and they're like, well, we still can't go against Laban because Laban can can command all of these men and we're going to die, right? And there's no indication of conversion there. There is no conversion. They had the angel come. But there's no conversion there. Whereas when we look at Paul, his very first thing, as soon as the Savior is like, why are you kicking against the pricks? He says, what would you have me do? Right? That kind of instant response is not something that that happens in a moment. That kind of response is something that is built up over a very long period of time of trying to follow the Lord's will, trying to follow God's will. Jehovah's will, whatever you may call him. I believe that Paul was already converted. I believe that when Paul was headed to Damascus, he sincerely believed that he was saving people from Christianity, that he was protecting people and keeping them with the law of Moses and keeping them with the ancient church, and that he was extremely sincere in his beliefs. Now, that being said, 
I still believe that there is a form of repentance that he had to experience, right? When he is taught that Christianity is the right answer and he thinks about Stephen and how he was associated with Stephen's stoning, I'm sure there was a little bit of agony and repentance that he had to experience despite his sincerity and his beliefs. However, (laughs) we can't judge Paul. He grew up in an extremely less tolerant world than we did. I mean, he was raised with the law of Moses. But I believe that Paul was already converted to God and God's will, right? We see it in the fact that the Savior reached out at all, right? That he reached out to the Savior and that that was his first response. What would that have me do? There's a quote in the New Testament manual. And it says this, it says, perhaps during those few days of comparative leisure, Saul began to wonder whether what he was doing was right or not. Perhaps the shining face of the dying Stephen and the martyr's last prayer began to sink more deeply into his soul than it had done before. Little children's cries for their parents, whom Saul had bound, began to pierce his soul more keenly and make him feel miserably unhappy as he looked into more experiences of that kind in Damascus. Perhaps he wondered whether the work of the Lord, if he were really engaged in it, would make him feel so restless and bitter. It's a quote from David O. McKay. So this theory, this personal theory of mine that Paul was not converted in that instant, that he was already converted, he was just redirected, makes sense to me in the fact that the Savior sent a vision at all, when so often the Savior doesn't choose to send visions, right? That's not usually how he responds or how he handles situations. But he chose to send a vision to Paul, and I believe that's because he knew that Paul was converted already and that Paul would listen. And then it is also shown in Paul's path. In Paul's response, sorry, it was shown in Paul's response that what will thou have me do? Paul's existing conversion was simply applied to the correct path. That's what I believe actually happened on the road to Damascus. Now, whether or not this matters, right? I believe that if my theory is correct, (laughs) there are some implications for us for what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the church, for what we believe about others, right? So I had an experience with a friend who believes very differently than us. Well, not very differently, we're all relative, right? So she believes that if you believe in Jesus Christ, doesn't matter what you do, you will make it to heaven. You just have to believe in Jesus Christ. And in one of our conversations, she pointed out two of her beliefs, two ideas, and she put them pretty close together. And it was in that contrast that I really noticed it. So she talked about how she believed that a murderer, a murderer can go to heaven if they believed in Jesus Christ. And in the same conversation, she was talking about how she had gotten really close to a neighbor and really had admired this neighbor and how kind this neighbor was. And then she found out she's an atheist. And then all of a sudden, everything changed for her, right? With this relationship with this neighbor. Now, I completely concede that my friend is very sincere in her beliefs and trying to follow Jesus Christ and what she believes Jesus Christ would have us do. However, I still ask the question, who is better? (laughs) The believing and purposefully rebellious murderer or the converted, the good, the kind, the charitable, Christ-like atheist, right? Who's 
better. All completely circumstantial. But I'm trying to make a point, right? We believe that the atonement of Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We believe that you have to believe in Jesus Christ to make it to heaven. He is the only way. We believe that proper priesthood ordinances are essential to our salvation. And we believe that we, as a church, have those priesthood ordinances and that we have the priesthood and permission to perform those ordinances. We also believe that the atonement and therefore conversion is available to everyone to the extent that they are willing to accept it. They may not recognize that they are utilizing the atonement, but it is very likely that they're accessing it. Especially if they are changing into better people, they are definitely accessing the atonement because the atonement is an essential part of becoming that better person, of becoming Christ-like, of becoming a spiritual person over a natural man, right? Conversion is deeper than baptism. It's different than baptism, right? Both are necessary. Baptism is necessary. We believe that. But conversion is also necessary. So who is better, right? The unconverted but properly baptized person or the converted non-baptized person? Who's better? Once again, extremely circumstantial, so I'm not going to answer that question. But I ask it to make a point. What do we truly believe about others and their paths towards Jesus Christ, about where we believe they are on their path towards Jesus Christ? Do we Are we able to look at them and recognize their goodness, even if some of their sins are more traditionally looked down on, <laughs> they're more visible or they believe differently than we do, right? Are we able to recognize their conversion and their kindness and their goodness and their willingness to make the world a better place (laughs) on top of all these other things that we may not completely agree with in our beliefs? Do we see ourselves clearly, (laughs) whether we're banking on our baptism or whether we are trying to truly become converted and become like Christ to where it's just a natural response, where to at any given point, our instant response is, what will you have me do? In my mind, it is extremely probable that Paul's experience on the road to Damascus was not conversion, but simply redirection. And I also believe that understanding the difference and understanding what conversion really is and how quickly redirection can happen, understanding these things can help us see others clearly and help us see ourselves more clearly. I am grateful for a Savior from whom all good things come. All good things. I am grateful that he works to bless all mankind and doesn't just work to bless people who are baptized because it would be a much more miserable world. (laughs) I'm grateful that he gives light to everybody who's willing to accept any shred of light. And I love him for that. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.